0: Funding for THINK comes from SMU Continuing and Professional Education.
1: Fans of the public radio show A Prairie Home Companion and the public television program Live from Lincoln Center might not guess what those beloved shows have in common with the Creative Forces program that serves veterans with traumatic brain injury. But all were developed with funds provided by the National Endowment for the Arts. From KERA in Dallas, this is THINK. I'm Chris Boyd. Jane Chu is chair of the National Endowment for the Arts, appointed in 2014 by President Obama. As it happens, she earned her master's degree at SMU, where she studied music and piano piano pedagogy before shifting her focus to arts philanthropy and administration. She was in town for a breakfast this morning in the Dallas Arts District, and we are delighted she could make time for us today.
2: Jane, welcome to THINK. Thanks for letting me join you.
1: How would you say the NEA is different from the agency that was conceived in 1966?
2: Well, in some ways, uh, the enacting legislation to create the National Endowment for the Arts, the words in that legislation, which were all about nurturing and elevating and sustaining creativity in America, remain the same. Uh, That's still what we're all about. And we're making sure, and uh, it's part of our mission, that uh, the arts are... Uh, people are engaged in the arts in so many different ways all across America and uh, that people have access to them.
1: One of the things that has been a focus for you is um, really kind of expanding the definition of what counts as art. So not only fine arts, but also the kind of dancing that people do at at weddings and parties and that sort of thing.
2: Well, sometimes uh, I think about the arts uh, in comparison with, say, the food system. When you look at the different ways people eat and participate in eating. There's everything from uh, five-star restaurants and Michelin restaurants to home cooking and all kinds of opportunities in between. And the arts, similarly, uh, you can go to five-star restaurants. You can participate in, um, in all kinds of similar arts uh, productions and uh, activities. Uh, but we don't eat every day in a five-star restaurant. And sometimes we eat often, but sometimes we don't. So there really is something for everyone. And uh, the arts are the same way and you can celebrate it all, we would be eager to uh, move away from thinking that it's one versus the other. Yeah. There's so many different entry points, and we can have a whole environment of people participating, um, and that's the way we think about it.
1: There are places in the world where um, people hear a song that they love, and they don't hesitate to jump in. Um, they you know, decide that they want to make something creative, and they don't think, well, I haven't had 15 years of training. Is there something about American culture that has caused us to think only certain people have the right to engage in the arts? Like, we love it for kids, but then the moment we finish school, we sort of feel like um, actually doing art is best left to the professionals.
2: Well, whatever that um, uh, restriction on whether we are... Creative or not, uh, we'd be eager to dispel it because uh, everybody is creative, and to be able to at any level, uh, we all grow at that point. So, to encourage creativity at all levels is uh, right, actually, absolutely behind that, and uh, to not uh, put the arts in a corner by themselves or to think that they only belong for some to some people and not for others. Uh, we think the opposite.
1: I've been really interested in um, social practice in the arts and uh, the development of this idea that you can um, create a work of art by working with people. And, I, and I'm curious about where you draw the line between what is like community activism and philanthropy as opposed to art itself.
2: Well, we have seen that art uh in conjunction with uh some social practices um, uh, community justice social justice is uh, an under is an underlying movement that's starting to take place all across America. We've been studying this actually through our Creativity Connects initiative uh, to say how is art um, and the practice of art and people participating in it different from, say, the way it was before the Internet? Because the use of the Internet does seem to be a um, a before and after, Uh, let's say, for example, uh, people participating in the art now have an have an ability to be able to uh, sell their works online. They have an ability even to create with their mobile devices and everything in between. So art can be more, uh, the creation of it, more accessible and ubiquitous uh, in so many different ways, including uh, introducing art and participating with uh, social practices and social justice and creative uh, social uh, ways. So uh, at the heart of it is the arts, uh, and at the heart of it is an introduction to uh, how we can identify and express ourselves with this vocabulary set, the arts, that transcends the use of linear everyday language and li- linear everyday conversations. So um, that's the way we look at specific projects, uh, such as the ones you've mentioned, like how how does it connect with social practice? Well, if the arts are at the heart of it, um, there's probably something there. Why does a
1: country need art? I know we could spend all hour talking about it. You know when
2: this. we look at uh, various communities and sometimes we describe them in ways like the population size, uh the economy, um, various uh, industries, um, uh, how many sidewalks they have, and things like that. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but when you have the arts come in, uh, it sets a pulse for the community. It brings a spirit. It can, it can spark a vitality in the community that makes people uh, say, I want to live there. There's something going on there that provides either meaning or identity or it shows a personality of that community. That's one of the greatest things about the arts, so it's not again by itself but here it is ability the ability to spark uh more uh, livelihood more ability to say i want to be there and more creation um begets even more creation that's a that's a place to live that uh people say, I want to I stay there. I want to help make this a community that not only that I can be proud of, but others as well. And the arts are often at the center of that.
1: So you started your career as a musician. Um, I'm curious, did you hear somebody playing a piano and think, I want that? Or did someone say to you, Jane, you are taking piano lessons. Here's your, here's your practice book.
2: Well, my parents are from China, mm-hmm. and they came over and met in America. And it was a time in 1949 when it was a change of government And at that time, there was a lot of repression. And so my parents knew, both knew that they could never go back to their own uh, home countries, which they so loved, such a beautiful country of China. And so uh, I was born, and I'm an only child, but I was born in Oklahoma and grew up in Arkansas. So I've really navigated a bok choy corn dog life (laughs) my whole uh, growing up years. And the beauty of that is that I became very comfortable in... um, the ability to be uh, in the middle of ambiguity because there's, uh, without force fitting, everybody to be exactly alike. And when my father died at age nine, I was taking piano lessons and really realized at that time, having grown up with parents who spoke Chinese at home and I spoke English at school, um, that... Uh, music for me was the starting point for my realizing there was another form of expression. I'm not sure at the age of nine I could have articulated uh, my own profound loss of my father in linear, everyday words. But there was something in music that I'm not sure I could even articulate today that soothed me. I didn't care what kind of music it was. And over time, continued participation on that allowed me to be more intellectually uh, interested in it. I started seeing what other people created, and it was inspiring to me. So I've I've seen firsthand the ability for the arts to reach us in so many ways that transcends the use of everyday Day languages, no matter what language you're speaking, um, and that I am hoping that that is at the heart of how we can find uh, through our our own identities, our communities, uh, bring life to them through the arts. That's really at the heart of it.
1: Many people look back fondly at the arts education they had in school, whether it was, you know, music classes or, you know, going into a room and painting something. Um, at the same time, a lot of people say, well, that's really a luxury in the modern economy. We're looking at skills, um, and, and lots of people are concerned that it's not even necessarily the money thing. It's a time thing. What do you say to people who, who argue that, that maybe the arts are something that should be done on our own time and not added into school curricula?
2: When you start seeing that the arts add a dimension to just about every other uh, school curriculum subject... Um, We're seeing that the creativity and innovation is a hot commodity now across America, even in businesses and industries that are maybe non-arts, but saying, wait a minute, we need not only... to hire people with uh, science and technology degrees. We need that creativity that comes from people who are in the arts. Uh, so we're seeing there's never been a better time to for people to recognize, even in other sectors, that the arts adds that dimension. Nobel laureates in the sciences are more 17 times more actively participating in the arts than other scientists. We're seeing the arts come in school for school kids who um, may uh, not be who can participate in the arts, who have a school curriculum that includes the arts teaching another subject, uh, that it seems to be an evening of the playing field for those kids to uh, perform better academically and more socially. So we see there's a strong relationship with that. Uh, that would already help us uh, make the case that the arts aren't in a corner, but they're uh, integral to our everyday lives in so many ways. I, I think with the heart at the heart of that is that, there's a process in our creativity that allows us to uh, be and explore uh, new things and new ways. And so by knocking down those barriers of I can't do this or I can't learn it in a certain way mm-hmm. and to see that people are participating in the arts and it opens up the imagination and ways to be, I mean, creation and imagination, innovation, that's at the heart of what America's all about.
1: Did it come as a surprise to you when you discovered you also had a passion for arts
2: administration? I found that um, I loved it because uh, participating in the arts was fun for me and I also was able to be oh empathic because I understood the process of what say pianists went through or I love to draw on a, a number of uh, painting techniques and things like that I could I could experience personally what somebody else was going through in terms of a lot of their own creation. But I also found that I could create by bringing people together. That's where I get my energy by uh, sparking vitality to, uh, to hopefully inspire other people to want to participate as well. Do you think we
1: misunderstand artists as as a class of people in this country? Um, I, I've interviewed a number of them over the years, and um, typically they're not weird. They're really they have a really strong work ethic. They are um, people who really have it together because they have to in order to make a living doing this thing that they love. That isn't isn't um, sort of sustained by the economy in the same way as walking into an office every day and sitting down on a computer.
2: When I was uh, growing up, uh, one of the things that I did the most in terms of my own training was to sequester myself off by myself so that I could either be in the practice room or I could uh, make sure that I was evoking the own purity of my own self-expression through the arts. And I love that, being able to make sure that I'm uh, authentic. I don't want to give that up. But nowadays, we're seeing that we can do that, and at the same time, we can be creating uh, through, by sitting in the back booth of a coffee shop or an artist can be talking to an engineer or a a writer's trying to figure out her third chapter in a book and can't figure it out so she's talking to somebody in another in a a scientist and somehow that giant mashup of having the arts connected and creating with others who may be in the arts or may not um, is coming together and we're seeing that across the nation and so with that comes uh, the ability to communicate with each other in so many different ways and I think that those type of um, opportunities will help break down some kind of a myth that artists are um, weird, or they have a certain, they're unique and nobody else is like them. They really are as conscientious and uh, dedicated to the purity of their, um, their own expression, and really wanting to engage in the community in so many different ways, and they can bring a level of inspiration and creativity to whatever they touch.
1: We're speaking this hour with Jane Chu. She is chair of the National Endowment for the Arts. We're talking about the NEA in the 21st century, what it does, and why we need it. If you would like to join our conversation Conversation, you can call 1 800 933 5372. Email think at kera.org or find us on Twitter. We're at kera think.
0: Funding for THINK comes from SMU Continuing and Professional Education. Fall registration is now open with courses in art, architecture, history, and languages, as well as professional certificates and test preparation. Registration at smu.edu CAPE.
1: This is THINK on KERA. I'm Chris Boyd, speaking this hour with National Endowment for the Arts Chair Jane Chu. If you'd like to join our conversation, you can call 1-800-933-5372 or email think at kera.org. So Jane, the NEA's budget for 2016 is just shy of $149 million, which sounds like a lot, but actually works out to like 45 cents for every man, woman, and child in the country how does that money get spent in a typical year?
2: Well, we have uh, been able to fund across the nation, and we're very mindful of that. We're, there's grants uh, in all 435 congressional districts. Uh, but the way the process works for grant-making at the National Endowment for the Arts is something that I'm very proud of because it really demonstrates that we're all in America shaping the arts in America together. So the first steps, there's a three-step process in terms of the grants being awarded and recommended. The first step actually is that citizens read the proposals that come in. So we have citizen panels who come in, and they're uh, experts in the certain disciplines. We've got 10 or 12 or 14 disciplines, uh, various ones from music and opera to theater to dance to Uh, arts education and many many more new media and they will read the proposals because they're out in the field knowing what that the nuances that they read in the proposals are big deals and they know that when you've seen one community you've only seen one community in how art is expressed and how uh, the ways the arts can bring communities together as well as honor individuals so those recommendations come from citizens then they go to our national council members who are also experts who come in on advisory council to the National Endowment for the Arts, and then the third is the chair. And so with that three-step process, we really do feel like we're shaping the arts into to get, uh, together in America. If you get a National Endowment for the Arts grant, not only can you be happy about the grant, you can be pleased that your peers recommended that uh, this grant is worthwhile. Uh, that's the process that we have all across America, being mindful of uh, whether grants are going through um, large and small and medium-sized organizations? Are they in rural communities as well? Uh, did we uh, make sure that arts education, especially for kids who come from uh, neighborhoods that they don't have as many social or um, social or economic opportunities, have an, a way of being engaged in the arts? We've seen uh, children transformed uh, because of their ability to, uh, for the arts to even the playing field, for them to participate uh, in other subjects as well as the arts. Uh, We've seen that the arts uh, support our military service members who have been affected by combat-induced traumatic brain injury, post-traumatic stress disorder, other psychological health conditions participate in arts programs where uh, it's transforming for them, not only their ability to manage their pain, but articulate and enhance their memories better. Their loved ones are seeing that they're getting their uh, loved one back who's been affected. And even health care administrators note that these arts programs are not only non-invasive, but they are... Uh, ways for people to create. Uh, they've been so, um, focused previously on uh, restricting, Hmm. and now they get to create and see another side of them. So these are the ways we think about, uh, are we making sure that the arts are all across America, just as our mission has said.
1: I want to talk a little bit more about that Creative Forces program that works with um, the military and wounded veterans in particular. Um, Were there a number of different ideas proposed before um, the NEA settled on something that really felt like a comprehensive program that could serve people who had had a variety of different experiences and maybe needed some help
2: reintegrating. We started about five years ago through the uh, arts programming through Walter Reed Military Medical Center at the National Intrepid Center of Excellence over in Bethesda, and uh, found that through that, because that is a focus that they have there on uh, helping service members who were affected by post traumatic stress disorder, traumatic brain injury conditions. And the results were so transformational that the healthcare professionals were calling back to say, We're going to make this part of our standard of care. So out of 40 therapies, they integrated uh, arts, visual arts, music therapy, creative writing into their healthcare system uh, and saw such great results. We were ac- able to expand it for Belvoir uh, in Virginia at the a brain and Wellness Center. And so we're so appreciative that Congress, both the House and the Senate, uh, increased the National Endowment for the Arts budget so that we could start expanding to 10 additional sites. So by the end of the year, we'll be at 12. We'll have identified 12 sites across the nation. One is in Texas at Fort Hood and Colleen, uh, where we're able to touch service members. Prior to that, we weren't able to uh, provide these same arts programs to uh, veterans, and now we can. So uh, we're starting to branch out and reach out. I think it's because we saw such transformational results, and it was non-invasive, and it was a uh, a way of, um, it's of low-cost administration that we could reach out that way. It was just a slam dunk, an obvious one to make sure people understood that they could participate in the arts that way. Is there a qualitative
1: difference between the forms of art that we expect to be kind of independently, economically viable, uh, you know, popular music and commercial TV and movies, and the ones that for a long time we have expected might need some philanthropic support or government support, you know, classical music and ballet and, you know, fine visual arts? Is theres there... is one more important than the other?
2: One is not more important than the other. It's back going back to that same idea as the food system. Let's make sure that we have a whole environment that provides all of it. but uh, we focus specifically on nonprofit arts uh, and as well as uh, being in partnership with, say, uh, local municipalities as well, uh, mayors and other partnerships. But we focus on the nonprofit arts sector because we've seen not only have uh, their ability to go into neighborhoods and go into uh, areas and be flexible and uh, identify uh, people who haven't had the opportunity to be engaged in the arts, Uh, so starting things like... um, Projects that were in their nascent stage uh, that could build and be stronger later has been um, a hallmark of the actions of the National Endowment for the Arts. Early on, you mentioned uh, the Sundance Film Festival, and Prairie Home Companion, Live at Lincoln Center, and many hundreds more. Uh, uh, this year, in 2016, the National Endowment for the Arts was honored to receive a special Tony Award About 133 projects that were started through funding of the National Endowment for the Arts went on to be nominated or win a Tony Award in theater. And think about the theater education opportunities. So uh, that's where we focus the most because we know that there's some great things out there in the field, people doing good work across the nation.
1: I think a lot of people are
2: okay with
1: public funding of arts that may not be their cup of tea but that don't bother them. Long before your time at the NEA, of course, there was the culture wars Um, in the 90s. There was like a 40 percent cut in the NEA's overall budget after some works were created that many people found deeply offensive. Um, what's the NEA's role in determining the content of work produced with even a fraction of funding that comes from public tax dollars?
2: We don't participate in telling anyone what the content is. We are about making sure that the arts are accessible and available to all of America. The model that we use, which is to have citizens panels, reading the proposals and making recommendations about what uh, they think is the most effective. Um, And then also our National Council is, as well as the chair, the model of that three-step process is uh, at the heart of identifying what is the most effective type of art. Uh, And we only evaluate Each project on two criteria. One is, is it excellent? And two, is it meritorious? So, excellence and merit are the two criteria. When you you see these citizen panels uh, reading through the proposals, talking about them, uh, thinking about what works and what doesn't. Uh, that is a very satisfying process and actually lends itself to what you're talking about is, um, are we identifying the content? No, the content comes to us through a proposal uh, and that somebody submits, and then the citizen panels read and recommend which ones are Um, the best ones to recommend.
1: So the NEA offices used to be in the old post office building in Washington, D.C., which is now, of course, a new Trump hotel. Um, You were appointed by President Obama. Um, Is it your expectation that you will stay on um, in the next administration, or how does it normally work that um, I know that the NEA chairs are appointed by presidents?
2: The NEA chairs uh, serve a term, and they are part of they were established as an independent federal agency so they are actually not tied to any political agendas we and doesn't that make sense the arts are nonpartisan the arts were not created to uh To do anything except make sure that people have been engaged in the arts because we know the transformational power of it. So I do serve a term uh, and uh, was honored to be appointed by the president. And we don't speculate beyond that. We're just continuing to do our job, uh, put our heads down and make sure that uh, we're trying to make arts available across America.
1: Does the arts feel nonpartisan when um, they're being discussed in Congress? It, it, It feels in some ways like the NEA has become a political football in the past several a couple of decades, we'll, we'll say that.
2: We've been actually been honored and appreciative of our work with Congress, uh, very appreciative that uh, Congress, both the House and the Senate, uh, gave the National Endowment for the Arts an increase in the budget uh, last year. There was a, also a proposed one for uh, the following year. Uh, we've been appreciative of that. We meet with Congress very actively to say, did you know we're doing this? I just wanted to keep you updated. So we actively keep everybody updated on what we're doing uh so to a person for the ones i've met uh i have been very appreciative of their responses there's a number of people in congress who uh really understand uh the mission of the national endowment for the arts and what it's doing to transform communities and their communities and to the people with whom i've met who hadn't yet been as updated um uh, to a person, they have said, I didn't know you were doing that, in a very favorable way. So my experience has been, uh, I've been very appreciative of having those uh, conversations with them, and I'm happy to provide much more.
1: All right, let's go to the phones now at one eight hundred nine three three five three seven two. We have Addison calling from Denton. Hi, Addison. Hey, how's it going? Very well.
0: Um, I was wondering, earlier you were talking about um, arts and education, and I find that... Um, I used to do a lot of arts when I was younger, and I think one thing it really did was stimulate my imagination, which I find to be extremely helpful even later on in college, which is what I'm doing now. Um, do you think that's a very, like, imagination is a very important part of education, or do you think it kind of takes a backseat to more logical, rigid, um, just completely fact-based education?
2: I th- Thanks, Addison, for your comments, because um, I'm with you. We, we really believe imagination is the one that- that allows us to expand ourselves, explore, and if we 're really uh, not restricting ourselves or getting stuck in uh, the same old same old we 're always going to be about uh, imagination. Uh, we can certainly honor all of the other subjects as well, but imagine how imagine how um, having imagination tied to all the other subjects uh, makes us all better in all the other subjects as well. So I'm a real proponent of making sure the arts are not off in a corner by themselves. We're not just talking about one type of art, but how can we make sure that the arts uh, undergird all that we are because it's such a wonderful process. So keep doing it. All eight
1: hundred nine three three five three seven two 933 1-800-933-5372 is our number. You can also find us on Twitter at KERA.org. Uh, at Think. Sorry. Um, Let's go now to Brett in Louisville. Hi, Brett.
0: Hey, Chris. How you doing? Well, that that uh, kind of leads me into what I was going to ask about, and I was wondering if you guys have any programs that kind of encourage. um, There's a lot of STEM, you know, um, curriculum out there right now, and I know that there's a big movement in education to encourage STEAM, you know, incorporating art into the STEM curriculum, and how important it is in design and the beauty of design. Um, and creativity itself, and I'm wondering if you guys have any programs that maybe you work with the Department of Education or um, maybe certain states that might
1: encourage that type of curriculum.
2: Well, we certainly do.'ve um, uh, the most recent uh, ESSA, the Every Student Succeeds Act uh, has incorporated uh, we've been working actively with the Department of Education to have the National Endowment for the Arts uh, help and make recommendations on how to make sure arts are connected to science, technology, engineering, and math, and more. So uh, that's one very practical and tangible way. But above and beyond that, We have so many STEAM projects that we support across the nation, and always feel free to email us, and we're happy to give you uh, other ideas about what's going on in the nation in various projects. And then the third is we're so appreciative of uh, members of Congress recognizing this, too. There is a STEAM caucus, Science, Technology, Engineering, Arts, and Math, uh, that was started by uh, Congresswoman Suzanne Bonamici in Oregon, and uh, there's also a new uh, co-founder as well in Congress uh, to make sure that those are integrated. So there are a number of really good people working to add the arts to so many other areas, especially in the STEAM area. The great thing about working um,
1: with creative people is that they can think of a million great ideas, right? Things that could work, that could happen, that in a perfect world would happen. Um, you know, $149 million across an entire country is is not enough to do everything that you'd like to do. How does the NEA make decisions about areas that might very well be worthwhile, but, but that you can't take on?
2: We look for those opportunities. One of uh, where the People might be ready. We're not in the um I don't think we pay attention to something where um you'd be pushing a blade of grass if somebody <laughs> was not um paying attention to uh an opportunity of a door slightly opening. But but that's why we're always analyzing ourselves. Uh we're looking at our own grants. Are we are we really funding across America like we said we would? We are. Um So, so let me interrupt you.
1: That. You mean not not so esoteric maybe. Is that is that what you're saying?
2: Well, it's not necessarily esoteric. Sometimes people would categorize a great idea as esoteric, and it might be a great idea that needs to be funded. So it's never a uh, this versus that, other than uh, we're making sure that we're relevant. And we are, uh, when we started our creativity connects initiative the first thing we did is we went across america talking having round tables making sure we were in the middle of the country as well as the coasts, saying what's going on now in the arts has life changed uh what can we be thinking about are the things we need to be mindful in terms of the structure that supports the arts so when we think through all of that process uh we're asking ourselves um the, what's the most relevant, uh, how do we leverage, you know, and the awards of the National Endowment for the Arts, we fund one dollar uh, for every, uh, we require a match for every dollar that the National Endowment for the Arts funds, but we're finding there's a seven to nine dollars of other outside funding coming in for the same arts project. We think that's a really good return on the National Endowment for the Arts message. We're
1: speaking with NEA Chair Jane Chu about the organization in the 21st century. We'll be back in two minutes.
0: Funding for Think comes from SMU Continuing and Professional Education. Fall registration is now open with courses in art, architecture, history, and languages as well as professional certificates and test preparation. Registration at smu.edu/cape.
1: This is Think on KERA. I'm Chris Boyd speaking this hour with Jane Chu, who is chair of the National Endowment for the Arts. If you'd like to join our conversation, you can call one 800 5372 or email think at kera.org jane i'm curious you you came onto the job in two thousand and fourteen. What was the learning curve like for you? Surely you had interacted with the National Endowment for the Arts before, but um, i i can't imagine what it took to really um, felt like you feel like you had your feet under you in running the organization
2: well i've had a, a number of wonderful opportunities prior to participate in the arts in so many different ways, from running art center to uh, construction to creation of my on my own and so uh from the arts point of view uh I felt very comfortable in not only having a base of understanding, but learning even more and knowing the questions to ask. So the only learning curve really was uh, first coming on board and making sure I understood the uh, ethic and legal procedures of the federal government. That was um, a little bit like drinking from a fire hose for a while, <laughs> but I I figured it out and got into and got, got a wonderful staff too who helped me through the process. Let's go back to the phones now at 800-933-5372.
1: Boris is calling from Dallas. Hi, Boris.
0: Hi, how are you? Great, thanks. I have two things. One of them is that I'm very concerned about the fact that Donald Trump has a campaign promise, which is that he will eliminate funding for National Endowment for the Arts, National Endowment for the Humanities, and for public broadcasting. And I want to know what we can do to fight back.
1: I've heard different things from a President-elect Trump uh, about his intentions to support the arts or not. I, I don't know if you've had a direct conversation with him
2: or his staff yet. I've not had a direct conversation, and I'm guess, again, we won't speculate, but uh, our job really is to uh, – show and demonstrate uh, what we already know, and that is that the arts are transformational and they are not just off in the side and they're not a frill, that they belong to all of us because we've seen uh, the transformational results in so many ways. So we'll continue to uh, keep focusing on that.
1: So you mentioned that there are, in each community, there are these panels of citizens who look at grant proposals. Is there any guidance given to them with regard to um, the balance between projects, that really are created to expose people to art as opposed to um, really incubating artists to create particular works. And I know they're not always mutually exclusive.
2: They aren't always mutually exclusive and... uh the guidance really is for us, uh, for us at the National Endowment for the Arts, when we're working with citizen panels, the main guidance is to just make sure that there are no conflicts of interest, that people are bringing their purest selves to understanding and reading the project. So they evaluate the project that is presented before them in the proposal as to whether it has excellence and is uh, merit, has, uh, is meritorious, and that's their focus.
1: Is there um, sort of a review after
2: projects are completed? in terms of, oh, yes, there's always uh, reports that have to turn in after the projects are completed. And so it's a process through the year or however along the project takes. And those are just as rewarding to see those transformational results.
1: All right. Let's go back to the phones now. We have Enric calling from UT Dallas. Hi, Enric.
0: Hi, there. Uh, it's good to hear this program. And uh, I'd like to congratulate you and your and, – and Chris, you, and, and your guest, Ms. Shu. Um, I uh, was one of the panelists, in fact, uh, for the NEA, um, at least once, and I think maybe twice. It goes back quite a while. I was at Eastfield College at that time, and I remember walking into the room and uh, seeing somebody I thought I recognized, and I realized that it was Stanley Clark, the bass player. And then I sat on the panel with some uh, professors of composition from the Ivy League, And here I was, Dallas County Community College guy. And we saw an incredible amount of, uh, we processed and heard and read through an incredible amount of submissions that day. Everything from people writing handwritten notes to, you know, clearly professional level, you know, people on a career track from universities and. And other and independent scholars as well. And I just really think that this is so important and it's such a wonderful job. And, and I really commend you for your, for your comments because I started my career at the North Carolina Arts Council and I realized how important that was, and then I came to Dallas. And now I'm at UT Dallas, and I, it's it seems like it's more important than ever.
2: Well, thank you so much for those uh, comments. So much of what you've uh, said is the same way the panels review the proposals already, it, with the exception of one thing. We now do it virtually, so sometimes mm-hmm. we do it through uh, the telephone. People don't have to come to DC, but they. But the the reading, uh, admittedly, is just voluminous. Wonderful proposals coming in, and having to make a decision over things like that. But at the same same time, um, it's also valuable because those who participate on panels uh, have a bigger perspective about what's going on in the nation. What are those great projects that are making a difference? And so you're getting to see firsthand uh, how other people's uh, ideas are working in their communities. Maybe there are varieties that you can adopt for your own. I learned that myself. I was on several panels as well before I threw my hat, name in the hat for the uh, chairperson person's position. But yes, indeed, uh, it's a wonderful way to see from perspective what's going on in America.
1: Does reading all the finalist proposals, um, does it ever diminish the emotional impact of seeing the finished work itself? Because you've read a probably necessarily um, technical description of what is meant to be achieved with a particular project.
2: Well, in some ways, it doesn't diminish it because the citizen panels were all out in the field uh, working and we know the dynamics of some of the th- the ideas in the projects that are written about. And you can tell by writing, uh, by the writing, uh, what uh, they're planning to do and wh- and because of your own experience, knowing those dynamics. And especially if you bring panel members from all over the nation, not just one certain community, and they're all getting to evaluate it from their perspectives, uh, that is a very valuable way to get different perceptions of uh, the effectiveness of the project. On the other hand, you always want to be mindful that uh, you don't want to get caught up in just reading a technical aspect of it, uh, but how does it really transform Uh, translate into meaning. How does it really make a difference in that individual's life or the community's life? Admittedly, getting to travel and see firsthand some of these great projects, uh, there's no words that can describe um, the impact it can make, not only on those who are participating in the project, but all of us who are watching from the outside. All right, back to the phones now. Number
1: 1-800-933-5372. Christina is calling now from Dallas. Hey, Christina. Hey, thank you so much for answering my call. Sure. Um, I had the privilege of being at the Dallas Arts District Community Breakfast
0: this morning and um, was able to hear uh, Chairman Chu speak, and um, I took (laughs) copious notes. And I
1: actually I wanted to ask a little bit more about um, the veterans, uh, the way about how you're using creative arts therapy, and how that works nationally regarding
0: getting Congress and the Senate involved and helping with clinical care.
2: The way it's beginning is that we fund the visual arts therapists and the music therapists and creative writing educators who can come in and work with service members who have been uh, affected by a lot of these combat-induced psychological health conditions. And to be able to do that in more communities, and we're expanding to 10 more sites, so there'll be 12 altogether, uh, but we're going first in a first expansion to areas where there are a good... um, number of uh, military personnel as well as veterans, and Texas certainly is one of them. And so what's happening, so that's the first piece, but the second piece is that uh, there are some great arts projects and programs going on in every community And so many opportunities for service members and veterans to participate in that as well. So we're combining the original clinical piece with uh, the great community programs that are going on at the same time, as well as creating a toolbox for every single state uh, through our wonderful partners of the state arts agencies to identify how they can help each of the uh, veterans as well as service members uh, in those arts projects. So those are the three-part faceted of our uh, first expansion.
1: So in a big city like Fort Worth or Dallas or Houston or Oklahoma City, um, there are established arts organizations, nonprofit arts organizations. They're not the only ones you work with, um, but these large organizations are are a place to start, perhaps. Um, What what do these grants look like in in a small rural community where there may not be a museum or a community theater group or even a gallery?
2: Well, indeed, there are opportunities for individual artists who know how to create such projects and programs for service members and veterans to participate in to link themselves to a a, an or, a nonprofit organization and produce those programs for our service members. So that's how it would work in terms of the specific funding structure, um, that uh, there are organizations and there are artists in every single community in the United States. So we know they're there, whether it's rural or whether it is a small community, midsize or large. So there's something there for everybody, and we want to make sure we can get to them. Have you come to
1: appreciate the value of an artfully written grant proposal in a way that you didn't even when you were writing them yourself?
2: We, uh, while we, of course, appreciate people who have the ability to write artfully, what we're really looking for, and I know the citizen panels do that too, we're looking for meaning. We're looking for whether people are going to really make an impact or not. And it's not just a way of impacting in broad numbers. That's one way to measure it, but it's not the only way. We're looking for uh, how that project and how they can articulate that project will make a difference um, in their own plans for the project as well. So there's all kinds of different ways. Remember, just like the food system, there's all kinds of ways to eat. There's all kinds of ways to engage in the arts as well.
1: How does the public investment that the United States makes in um, an organization like the National Endowment for the Arts compare with other industrialized nations?
2: When you look at um, a per capita, uh, and earlier you had identified about 46 percent per person in terms of the national endowment for the arts budget Uh, some uh, countries are um, far more some countries are not only above a dollar per person some are ten dollars a person some are twenty dollars a person depending on what country you look at so in some ways um, uh, it's a small amount very small amount in terms of the whole budget government budget it's about one one hundredth of one percent but uh the other way I love, I'm so proud of the way our model is in the National Endowment for the Arts in the United States is that um, we don't have a cultural minister. That works. Having a cultural minister works really well in some countries. But for us to be able to have our state arts agencies and to be to be able to have uh, citizen panels helping to read and make recommendations because you know what's going on out in your community and you're not trying to compare one with the other, but it's all of us shaping the arts together together, that's a very satisfying way because we're all in this together.
1: Do you ever let yourself fantasize about what you would do with $10 per American
2: we would certainly do uh, even more. You can always leverage more with more. I'm talking about our uh, for every dollar that the National Endowment for the Arts awards, seven to nine dollars of additional outside funding from other sources comes for the same arts project. That's a, That can be a its own public-private partnership and its own um, sources of everybody coming together. Uh, that way of matching funds is also satisfying because it is, again, not one entity funding something versus another entity. It's one sparking uh, and leveraging other activity from other sources. So are arts good for the economy? It certainly can be. And we're seeing that, you know, when you looked at uh, downtowns, for example, of any size back in the 1940s, 1950s, there uh, there was a lot of retail there uh, it seemed like a hub for people and then as uh, highways and uh, interstates and people began to have their own mobility and cars and they went out to suburbs there was um the ma- the vast Um, movement away from downtowns. And so downtowns for a while, I think in the 70s, became more desolate than they certainly ever were before. Now we're seeing a revitalization of people coming back downtown, but it's not in the same way it was in the 40s. It seems to be more of a um, how can we bring people to come back downtown and create that pulse of um, that heartbeat for the whole uh, metropolitan area, whether you live in a suburb or not. And so the arts have Been at the heart of that, and people recognize bringing people together, whether it's temporary for a festival, uh, bringing people together um, for a permanent uh, opportunity as well, both uh, also in courages restaurants, and uh, people just want to be there together, and um, even more spending of the economy and uh, increasing of the tax base. So yes, I can see the vitality of the economy can be linked to the arts. Jane Chu
1: is chair of the National Endowment for the Arts. You can learn more about the National Endowment for the Arts at arts.gov. Jane, it's been such a pleasure. Thanks for making time for us.
2: Thanks for letting me join you. Think
1: is produced by Stephen Becker and engineered by Eric Bright. Samantha Guzman is associate producer with help on the phones from Javier Hidabet and our executive producer is Jeff Whittington. I'm Chris Boyd. Thanks for listening and have a great day.